0: All right, guys, welcome back to your KOH update. I'm your host, Sam Derrickson, joined by Cody Willenberg. What up? Randy.
1: What's happening? The Oco Dog.
0: And Nate. Hey, guys. So today, we're going to recap our day,
1: qualifying day. It's Cody's favorite day on the lake bed. Cody's least favorite day on lake bed. Actually, I think it's the night before that's worse than today. I didn't sleep at all last night. So um. what? explain real fast
0: what is qualifying and why is it important?
1: So qualifying is everyone, it basically gives you your position from the start, from like when you start the race, okay? So in the desert, it's it's 90, 85 miles of desert right out of the get-go, and the dust is serious. So if you start, say, 50th, there's 50 cars in front of you going through the desert, making an extreme dust bowl and giving them a massive head start on you because you have to go slow because of the dust, right? And but that's that's the desert side of things. That's the desert side of things. The rock side of that is you now get into the rocks um, and you've got 50 people in front of you that may be inexperienced or 50 opportunities for cars that are going to break in the desert. Get and, stuck. Yep and get stuck in the in the whole nine. So uh, it's important to be in front going into the rock sections or at least, say, in the top third percent of people out here into the rock section. Because, really, if you're in the top 25, per se, going into the rocks, you're going to get through the rocks pretty good because those guys are either A, good, and going to be able to drive them, B, know how to winch and how to hook winch points and so on and so forth, and you're not going to get hung up because what happens in here is the valleys are so deep and so big, you have to get out and help the competitors because if you can help them get out of your way, then you can go through that section. So that's, that's you know, not very often in racing do you go from 100-mile-an-hour to 5-mile-an-hour, but you also got to help your competitors out because you need them out of your way so you can get through. So we talked on the last episode
0: that in the driver's meeting they cut some stuff out of the qualifying course and then changed some stuff on the qualifying course so last night uh we all went out and you had pre-run the qualifying course a couple times to get a good idea what was going on
1: yeah so they dave cole is a heck of a race promoter but um he lives out here and this is what he does and he can say, you know, take a right at the big uh, at the big rock, or um, go left at the rock holding, or the ape, the ape rock holding a grape. You know, because me and Randy did find that out there. That's a such thing. There's a rock that looks like an ape holding a grape. Yeah, okay.
2: at the trail angle, it literally looks identical to an ape holding a grape. That'd and be perfect.
0: And there's a culture out here that is surrounding all these trails, and they all have nicknames, and they like they like listening to the driver's meeting you know they they talk about it like it's second hand like like if you ask an old guy at the at the gas station how do i get oh you go over here to old ben's house and you take a left it's kind of the same deal
1: yeah and you know we're we're from the uh we're from the east coast we don't we don't know this stuff we don't wheel this stuff you know there's guys if you're if you're within eight hours of here you're coming here a couple times a year to wheel this you know if you're within 15 hours here you're coming here you know a couple times a year to wheel this kind of thing, and it's 30 hours for us, so we come out here one time a year, you know, and we don't know these now. The more we've been out here, the more we are familiarizing ourselves with it and how it works and the layout of the land and stuff, but uh, we still don't understand how Dave talks about it, and it's easy for him to change the course and just say, this is where you're going to go now, figure it out, because he knows it. He could probably do it really easy, and a lot of the people from the West Coast that run this race could do the same thing, but... For us, it's it's unique. It's different. You got to kind of figure it out at the last minute. When they changed the course, we ran it a bunch last night, got familiarized with it, and then today, the course we thought was going to be the course last night was not even the course I was today. So, and as of the start of the qualifying, they hadn't
0: even released the GPS file. For the qualifying course.
1: After an hour into qualifying, they didn't release the, the GPS file for the qualifying course.
0: So it was supposed to be 8 a.m., and we were slated for the fourth car in the 9 o'clock hour.
3: Yes. Which made us the 19th car overall.
0: So we went up to the qualifying course to kind of check it out.
1: Yeah, and so what Sam's saying there is is they break the qualifying out by hours for television time. So... You know, there's 8 a.m. hour, a 9 a.m. hour, 10 a.m. hour, 11 a.m. hour, so on and so forth. So we were the ninth, 19th car, 4th car at the 9 o'clock hour. But the wind last night was so brutal, it ripped any markings and banners they had down. So they had to remark the course. So we had heard earlier in the day that everything was pushed back an hour.
0: So this qualifying took place on a trail called Chocolate Thunder. And it went up, Chocolate Thunder, and then across the top of the ridge at the top of Chocolate Thunder, and then through a section of her problems, right, and then down idle issues. idle issues. So three separate trails were part of this qualifying course. And they mentioned both in the live stream and in the driver's meeting beforehand that they were going to send the next car after the first one had cleared the first rock section which created a unique qualifying scenario that has never been seen at this race in which you could be passed while you are doing your qualifying run
3: and we saw several passes during qualifying
1: yeah yeah that that on on top of how stressful and important qualifying is now you got to worry about a competitor being in front of you that you got to pass him while trying to qualify
0: so before qualifying, we decided to make some last-minute adjustments to the car to make as best a scenario as we could for the driver and co-driver.
1: Yeah, so, you know, racing King of the Hammers, you have to carry parts with you. So currently on the car, we are carrying a front axle, a rear axle, a spare tire, a tie rod, tie rod ends, um, and left and uh, upper and lower radius rod thinking that like those are the components that we would chance to break in the rocks the most. So, probably 75 to 80 pounds of, of literally dead weight. Well, while qualifying, you don't want that in the car.
0: Because like, speed's everything.
1: Speed's everything. Nor do you want tools or any, anything else. So, most people will not even qualify with a, with a co-driver because that's another 200 pounds you can lose just for speed. But in this particular course, it was so challenging If you would have got hung up, you needed a co-driver to, A, throw a winch cable to get you out.
0: And it it was the first time at King of the Hammers that the qualifying course had people winching on it.
1: Yes, yes. And so we kind of set Randy up to be ready to jump out of the car, pull winch cable if need be, and then I was going to leave him on the qualifying course. Because Dave made it very clear in the driver's meeting that he would rather you leave your co-driver where you were Then, quote-unquote, act like he's buckled in. And him not being buckled. And him not be buckled in, yes.
0: Because overall, safety is paramount
1: here. Yeah, and exactly. And, and, you know, I'll be honest. If we would have had to get Randy out and back in, I would have basically got him in, got the door closed, been like, figure out how to buckle your harnesses. We're moving, you know. He
3: also made it very clear that to winch, to have somebody up there to hook your winch, that they had to start the qualifying in the car.
0: Yes. So... We got the car set up for qualifying, and part of this qualifying course, which it was on Chocolate Thunder, and there is what they call a pivot rock, and it's called pivot rock because you quite literally pivot the car with the body and or roll cage around this rock to get through this obstacle, and... We already had a damaged door frame from pre-running this exact same spot. um, And we decided to put that on the race car because we knew we were going to damage it again.
1: Yeah, so I had pre-ran this section four times, was able to drive up it three of the four times, and smashed the door the first time, cracked the door in half the second time. The third time was an absolute disaster. We didn't even make it up. And the fourth time, I think I just skimmed the door and and was able to drive up. So knowing that there was going to be a really good chance we were going to break the door, I wanted to run with the door that was already broken. So we pulled the door off the pre-runner, put on the race car, and chose to run it like that with the quote-unquote broken door.
2: That's just so you can save the good parts for race day. I mean, you want to take the race car on a race course uh, with every... Good part. Every intention you can to start fresh.
1: Yeah, but you know that's that's important to have good parts on the race car, and and also was something key to me, and it's important to me, and important to make sure that the sponsors get the the recognition they deserve is to have a you know their name legible on the car and not a smashed up, mangled up door, and um, so that's what we chose to do.
3: Plus, well, so we wanted to look good on the podium,
1: and
0: logistically speaking. At the, the damaged door frame is hard to open and close. And if the driver or co driver has to get out for any reason, you don't want to hinder that already long process with any parts that may be, you know, deficient in some way.
1: Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. And th- this morning, uh, you can't put in perspective the amount of emotion and um, prep and time, and let's not even talk about money that goes into this race. And qualifying is something that is super, super nerve-wracking to me, and here's why: I've ran rocks and ran off-road stuff for years, but everything we do is at very low speed, kind of crawling pace. We just we rock crawl. So we are, rock crawlers. You know, for pure enjoyment. For, yeah, we do it for fun. And when we're when we're riding rec- recreational riding, if there's a hard line and you don't take it. We're making fun of you because you took the easy line, right? Mm-hmm. So, as Dylan is handing out fireball shooters to everybody. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. Um, we, we take the we take the hard line every time, right? Well, out here, you got to kind of change it up like you're racing now in the hardest stuff there is. So, you got to try to find the easy line through it. And in qualifying, you need to go as fast as you can. And that's not something I'm used to doing in the rocks. I'm used to going slow, slow and steady kind of thing. And you got to pick it up, and you got to drive fast. And I don't, I don't know why it gets to me the way it does. But I was, I was emotional this morning. I was uh, kind of stressed out this morning, and very, very worried about the overall outcome of qualifying.
0: So we get up there, we find out that it's been pushed back. So we kind of give us a little bit of breathing room. We come back to camp. We get everything finalized, everything ready to go, ready to rock and roll. And uh, a little bit of inside baseball here. We. Put a little bit of a tweaked tune in the car uh, to get it going. A um, couple wastegate issues, you know, technical things, and our tuner suggested that we do a wide open throttle pull to make sure it didn't go into limp mode, which would handicap your throttle response and your overall top speed and everything.
1: Yeah, and we and we had planned to drive the car this morning. Well, qualifying gets pushed back an hour. I think we have time at eight o'clock, eight fifteen. It was, to go up there and and check out the qualifying course and watch a couple people run. Well, we got there and we found out that like
0: they tossed the order.
1: They yeah, and they're they're running like n- quickly and it. I w- I had to get it. I had to basically go right back, get in get gear on, fire suit, suit up, on the whole which deal. is not easy. No. Um, it was upstairs in the stacker, Not even didn't have like, my, you know, nothing was out, nothing was ready, and we quickly got ready to make it to the line, and we pulled up, what was there, Nate, five cars in front of me? Yeah, roughly five cars. Yeah. So we, we pulled up to the line, and we were going quickly, you know, so we had no time to kind of run the car to see what it did, and then on the way out there, the AIM device, which is like the computer in the car that tells you everything, and data log stuff, and GPS coordinates and things was showing me, I think, what we hit, 1.7 pounds? 1.8 was your max. Yeah, a boost. Um, The cart felt like it had power, but the computer was saying, you don't have power.
0: Which is concerning. Already nerves, you know, on edge from, you know, obviously you were nervous about the the whole qualifying, and we were kind of giving you a little bit of grief about not pre-running a full wide-open throttle pass and you did it on the way to line up for qualifying and then the computer says hey jack you ain't got no
3: boost <laughs> and uh yeah. it turns out it, it turns out that the computer was just in the wrong setting right yeah
1: yeah computer was in in metric it was yeah. in kpa yep yeah it was
3: bar actually yep. but a, yeah so it was saying
0: 1.3 to 1.5 bar which is you know 19 or whatever yeah, PSI.
3: To 12 pounds of boost
0: so it was working fine, but the computer was reading in the wrong scale. Essentially, it's like it's like when you do uh, when you when you're flexing for the gram, and you switch your car to kilometers per hour, and you do a zero to hundred pole, but it's actually just zero to sixty, and everyone thinks you're doing something special.
3: But this is definitely not good for an already nervous driver.
0: Exactly. No. So super nervous. <laughs> but uh,
1: for for me though, it, it I'll be honest, it eased my mind a little bit because the car is got a lot of horsepower and in the rocks, a high horsepower car is hard to drive and you can break parts in the rocks. And this qualifying course was in the rocks. So I was like, this will be okay. Cause it'll be, you know, the throttle response will be good. It'll be a little bit down on power. Um, the reason the tune was funny, like Sam was saying is because we've been trying to get the throttle sensitivity to go less in, uh, in low range. Um, and that's why what we were doing we were been tuning that we've been tuning power out of the car basically. Long story short, we're taking power away from the car because if you can't put the power to the ground, there's no sense to have it.
2: Yeah, I mean it's and it's still like a conserve the car type deal. You can have a ton of power out there, but it ain't going to get you any farther if you're going to break it, in it since the instant you
0: use it. And this is still a CVT belt driven vehicle that you know, if you had a hundred thousand horsepower, you'd never get it through that wimpy little rubber belt that drives the whole car exactly so i'd like to take a second and talk about the obstacle itself so there was a whole bunch of people that qualified on this course and watching it live never does it any justice we've said that before the videos the pictures they don't do it justice this obstacle even two years ago when i first came out here looked so intimidating that you would think you know a fully built rock crawler would never get up it, but they do. and there's no way a UTV would do it. And these guys are out here putting incredible times down. We'll talk about it in a second, but Cody did an incredible lap. He hit this most difficult spot in the most perfect way possible, but they were talking about it in in the live stream that it's this difficult of an obstacle. Well, ten years ago, they called the obstacle before it was the pivot rock was the gatekeeper because it kept you from going up the obstacle and 10 years ago most 99 percent of all vehicles would never get through it let alone a utv and now you've got almost off the shelf vehicles with some safety stuff added going up it like it's just a sunday drive and i think that's a huge testament to where the industry itself is going
1: yeah it's a very iconic um marking point out here i mean if anywhere you want to go this weekend to see action would be to go to Chocolate Thunder. We could go there right now. And there's there's a few hundred people, if not a few thousand people, yeah. watching, and there's a hundred guys going to bounce their way up it or try to bounce their way up it tonight, and maybe half the people will be on their lid. I mean,
2: just to put it in perspective, I mean the the rock that they call Pivot Rock is actually uh, whenever you pivot around it, the
0: rock is taller than the cage of the side by side for sure. And the hole that you're in is deeper than the side-by-side. You exactly. almost lose the whole side-by-side in the hole. You're trying to drive half the side-by-side on another rock and you're leaning into a rock way bigger than the side-by-side that you're driving in a hole as deep as the side-by-side.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And Jason and I just took a look at Chocolate Thunder just a few minutes ago while we were outside. It's an absolute parking lot. It looks like a large mall. There's probably 2-300 vehicles in Chocolate Thunder right now.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so, it, like, again, it's it's a very iconic. I mean, They've run the shootout on Chocolate Thunder before. You know, like that's their hill-killing event that's out here. So it's an iconic obstacle, I'll be honest with you, 100% honest with you. I really thought Dave would take that out of the qualifying course. I really did. I thought enough people would be upset about it, and it was going to cause a lot of problems with uh, TV time and people trying to get off of it and not getting qualifying done in a certain amount of time, that he would remove it. And brought to my surprise, he he didn't take it out.
3: Yeah. With that said, I'm pretty sure like six or seven out of the first ten vehicles that the first ten race cars that took off this morning ended up on their sides or on their lid,
0: and most of them had to winch. Absolutely, that didn't. So so give us a quick rundown of of your actual pass, your actual qualifying pass.
1: So again, we pulled up to the line. I think there was like five cars in front of me. So it's like one of them things, you know. We kind of relate this back to my deer hunting days you know the, the when you have the most success deer hunting you basically sit down in the deer stand and out of nowhere a deer is, is just in front of you and it's over with as, as fast as it happens right so we pull up we're like five in line so like we didn't even have a chance for the nerves to set in didn't even have hardly have time to shut the car off like we idled up pulled up I'll be honest with you. I didn't even see the guy's hands count down five, four, three, two, one. I just seen the the, the green flag go, and uh, I hit the throttle. It was it was kind of a memory from there. So we uh, got through the loose sand at the bottom, coming up on the obstacle. Randy was trying to keep me calm, cool, collective, and just remind telling me, hey, this is just another you know weekend wheeling trip in Tennessee, just taking on like that and. I knew where I need to hit the line, and I hit it where I knew I needed to hit it, and I drove it how I knew I needed to drive it, and we pivoted around it and made it right up it. Um, Beans that we were in such a hurry at the starting line, I didn't turn the pumper on. And what the pumper is is it basically pumps fresh air into your helmet, and uh, the biggest thing that it does is keeps your visor from fogging. So I think I was holding my breath from the time we got to the starting line. <laughs> Till the time we cleared Pivot Rock. Yep. Because legitimately, as soon as we got to the top of Pivot Rock, my visor instantly fogged. Like just complete fog. I couldn't see anything. That's called an adrenaline dump. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at that point, I knew we were we were we were good because I was confident the rest of the course, and I knew we could get a, a strong qualifying time because we made it up and around the rock with ease. And I'm yelling at Randy, pumper pumper pumper, and still trying to drive forward the pumper in that car is in a really really bad place it's hard to get to it's hard to feel kind of behind you and then i realized that i just need to open my visor because i couldn't see anything so i flip my visor open i yell at randy on the comms visors open don't worry about pumper navigate well at this 20 feet of of things that was going on all in a split second yeah um was the 20 feet that i needed to get into high range well,
2: you go keep going back to that high range. Like we, when we were on our way out to there, we you a know, whole uh, psi on the turbo deal, uh, the boost pressure. I kept. I asked them, so do we have enough power with this much boost to run this in low range? So when we never shifted, it didn't give me thought. I really thought that's what we were going to do. I thought it was a concern about not having enough psi, and we was just going to stay in low range and run the course the whole whole way out.
1: And. Uh we didn't get into high and we ran the we ran the whole course in low. The whole entire qualifying course. We were in low range. And you crossed the beams at second
0: in class, third overall. Is that what it was? At you know, you were the fifteenth, sixteenth, whatever guy to go. Nineteenth. Nineteenth guy to go and you qualified strong.
1: Yeah, in, in low range. So uh you know, looking back now, I think it would have been great to get it in the high. We probably could have qualified, uh, you know, in the top 5 of our class instead of we qualified. And we ended up after everybody went, which I think there was 102 um, registered people that decided to do qualifying. I don't know the order who actually finished or not like if any like how many people DNF'd out of those 102.
0: So, there was 102 that completed, well, attempted the qualifying
3: course. I think they said like 30% did not get a
1: time. So, better, so, better than I thought as far as it would go. But, uh, you know, we quali- so it ended up after qualifying was over with, we ended up 7th in class and I think 20, ninth. 29th overall. Um, overall isn't super crucial to me uh, because obviously we're racing to win our class. The overall thing, what it's going to do is it's going to give us that's going to be 28 people ahead of us going into the desert and into the rocks. But again, I think if we can maintain in that like top 20, top 25 um, in the rocks, going into the rocks and through the desert with the dust and stuff, we stand a chance to do you know to do real well. They changed the. Uh, I'm not going to say they changed the rules. The big name, the prof- guys that race professionally, that do this for a living. That's all they do is race, right? Are running my class this year um, that was the first time they've ever done that and I think what it was was it was a push from the factory to say hey you guys need to win this in a quote-unquote stock car because everyone's saying the reason you're winning is because you're running a full aftermarket car so the main hitters the guys that race professionally and get paid to go racing and they don't have a day job racing is their day job are all in my class this year because obviously when one big hitter does it, all the other big hitters follow because, you know, they want to race with the best of the best, and they want to win with the best of the best. So, you know. we were with um, some
0: big names in our class.
3: Yeah. yeah who, who was it that, we've, that we qualified right behind?
1: Uh, I'm looking at the list right now, like Kyle Cheney's number one professional Can-Am racer, Cody Miller, um, Hunter Miller, Brian Deegan. We, fought, we qualified one position behind Brian Deegan. So, uh, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty cool.
0: So that's 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 no small feat. I mean, there's people out here getting paid to do what we're doing, and you're paying to do what we're doing, <laughs> and we're, we're right there a with them. A lot. Em. Yeah, and not a little either. Um, so, yeah, so overall the motions were, were really good. I mean, like you said, you were super nervous. How did you feel after you crossed the beams and you got done and – you, you realize that you put down a good time.
1: I think I said something about like, okay, this is all over with now. We can have fun the rest of the week because the race doesn't even, not even, not even one bit even hardly make me nervous, right? Like, I, it's not concerning to me because the, the race is what I do. It's, it's, a, it's a survival of the fittest in the rocks, rock crawling, not a rock high-speed race, and uh, not concerned about that. Getting through the desert is going to be interesting the desert is very very fast this year
0: so that's what you did after qualifying
1: yeah so after qualifying you know i i felt really good i was able to finally get some lunch and uh, me and randy and jason and um, dylan Dylan. um, ran the desert loop together dylan and jason jumped in my uh, pro r and me and randy and the pre-runner and we ran the whole desert loop and made some really good notes and this will be the first year I ever completely – I ran the complete rock course and the complete desert loop pre-run and have all the notes for both. So we're sitting in a good qualifying position. We're sitting with really good notes. We're going to do another desert loop tomorrow, hopefully dial in the shocks a little bit more tomorrow. And then Wednesday we are taking the day off. I do not want to sit in the seat of a razor on Wednesday because Thursday is obviously race day. So
0: going back to giving guys a inside look at what we do here, this afternoon after qualifying and everything was kind of calmed down after lunch, we decided that we had to do our typical divide and conquer type thing. So there's a lot of people out here with a lot of different responsibilities. And, uh, you know, we, we all kind of split up. We got you set up, got everything gassed up, got you guys off to do your desert loop. And then we started to do some kind of housekeeping stuff around here. Um, even down to just taking out the trash. We had six or eight bags of trash. You gotta haul it off to uh, the, the you know the main area where they've got big dumpsters where where we throw all our trash away. Um, we got auxiliary water barrels. We filled up the RVs with water so we can shower. And uh, Randy had a broken part on his Jeep that we ordered in from O'Reilly's.
1: His low-talent light came on too the other day.
0: It did, it did. Um, I was doing
2: some serious rock crawling. I think that rock was almost four inches tall and the old front drive shaft just gave up. I think, uh, I think a nut and bolt check on that could have probably prevented that. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I a mean,
0: 40,000 miles into it, I probably should have checked something. So yeah, so we got the trash taken out um, and then we had some stuff that we needed to pick up from town. We wanted to refill the water barrels. So uh, myself and Emma went into town To get that done, meanwhile, uh, Steve and Nate, they went and Trey, they had to go scope out where one of the pit stops was at. They they moved remote pit one this year, and it is how many miles from camp?
3: It is a 57-minute drive on pavement to RP1.
1: So if that puts into perspective of how big this stuff is out here and the distance away that you... While racing, is, is I mean, that Nate's nail it on the head right there. You know, it's a what'd you say it was a 70 minute?
3: 57 minutes
1: out. Out, Wow. So, so you got
0: to drive from Effingham to Terre Haute just to get to the first pit stop.
1: Yeah.
3: That, that is correct. Yeah.
0: And that, uh, that
1: we may or may not take fuel. So um, we can maybe talk about pit strategy and a whole nother one, but uh, we may not even stop there. So we're going to have to send someone out there on a two hour venture. Our plus venture, um, and we may not even stop at that bit, we might pass it up.
0: Which, I mean, and that's that's just all the stuff that goes into this. You know, we we're into town going to the parts store, going to Walmart, we picked up you know some more supplies and everything, and then reconvened back at camp for dinner.
1: By
3: supplies, it means alcohol,
0: uh, yeah, lots of alcohol.
1: How was the line getting back in today? Was it good?
0: Uh, the line was steady, it was moving. Um, It was moving faster than the truck could go through the train.
3: And by line, they mean Boone Road off of the pavement, which is Highway 247, to the Hammers Gate is like four, four and a half miles.
0: And then another two miles from the gate to where you show your armband to the gate to get in
1: where the camper is. Which, driving with no traffic at all is 15 minutes because it's desert. It's rough. It's not smooth. Yeah, definitely not paved. With traffic and all the craziness... uh, it's it could be two three hours to get in, you know,
0: and uh, and that's how it is on on like a weekend when people are really flowing in. It's it's almost a parking lot because there's just they're backed up from the ticket booth all the way to the road, and you just got to wait your turn in line.
2: Nate, how was that drive in for you?
3: Um, I was in Randy's jeep, so I just took the desert and did some donuts and floored it, so it was good.
2: So, that actually goes back to saying you, you can have a pickup truck, stuff like that, coming back in here. But if you can bring some equipment in here that can actually move, spend a little money on shocks, whatever it takes, it makes a difference getting around out here. Yeah.
1: yeah for sure. That is, that is r- for sure, for sure.
0: So, so back to pit strategy, um, after you know we got some stuff done around the camp, we had to put the car back into what I would call race trim. All the stuff that we took off for qualifying, we had to put it back on the car. Spare tires, spare parts, everything um, went M- through.
1: Mainly because we're going to shock test one more time tomorrow. Um, and every
0: w- ounce is important when you're doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, if you're off 10 pounds, you just t- change totally how the car handles. So you got to have it as close to how you've been testing and race prep as there is. And we didn't race prep the car. Um, it's just kind of back to uh, race race weight weight. Yep.
0: Um, But then, you know, we legitimately sat for a half an hour and discussed, you know, who needs to be where, at what time, what equipment, tools, spare parts, fuel needs to be at which pit, who can travel from pit to pit in what type of vehicle, because we have three different types of side-by-sides out here, as well as a truck and a Jeep that are all capable of doing the job in different capacities and where the car wants to stop, where we want the driver to stop, where we need spare parts, where we need fuel. And it's just that much strategy that goes into every aspect to this race that just makes it so difficult versus any other type of racing.
3: And it, it takes so many capable hands. I mean, you have to have someone at every pit that knows how to work on a racer.
0: Has to be able to do everything from put fuel and air fuel in the car air in the tires to replace some basic parts and help turn a wrench when needed because it's not easy to get the driver and co-driver in and out of the car so ideally they stay there get rehydrated get refueled anything that needs done gets done and they just hit the gas and go again almost like a nascar style pit stop
1: yeah and the other thing you're not talking about is you got to have enough tools to be separated out across three different pits that are what four hours away from each other you know talk about that in a pickup truck and stuff um so you got to have your parts where where am i putting we have one set of extra arms where do they need to go and why do they need to go to that pit you know uh, most people would say they should be after the rocks well yeah but they also maybe should be after the desert loop because we've seen the biggest chance of hitting a rock at high speed and and ripping one off you know in the rocks you may beat one up but you're probably not gonna rip one off so it's a it's a call where do you where do you put them where do you what do you do with them
0: yeah so that was pretty much our day today um,
3: if we circle back just a little bit to the finish of qualifying i found out that the emotion at the end of that race, Cody is a hugger. I'm <laughs> I'm a very emotional person, and I I mean I have a hard time holding it together at events like that. And at that moment, I I had to walk away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I didn't know Nate a year ago. I met Nate through through Randy, who just said, "Hey, Nate, you to go spend a week in the desert." And Nate's like, not smart enough to tell him no. <laughs> clearly, because here we are today. Clearly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, I had a lot of emotion and, you know, I, I've got a big heart and, and love everybody that, uh, is able to take off the time they are to come out here and do this with me. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a big deal. You know, people kind of, it's so funny since I've left, like, how'd you do, how'd you do, how'd you do Like, We don't race. we don't raced yet. We're still prepping for this race. That's what it takes to do this race. And it, it's a, it's a lot to say.
0: And we, we say this a hundred times and say it a hundred times more, it's, all about who you're out here with, because even through anything that happens, we're all still good friends, and we have a great time together, regardless of the outcome of anything.
1: Yeah, you know, I want it to be fun, and you know, not no, not only the people that are out here, but the people that are at home that allow me to come out here and do what we do, and uh, the people that are uh, the other people that are at home for you guys that are out, you know, while you guys are out here. So it's a it's a big deal. It's a big commitment, and uh, that's why it's the world's toughest UTV race all action-packed in about a two-and-a-half, three-week period of time. So,
0: yeah, that was our day today. So thanks It was a f- good one. Yep. So thanks for joining us, guys, and uh, we'll try to get some more recorded for you on the next one.
1: See you, guys. See you. Later.